This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us are here. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I am Paul Pertichese, and thank you for joining me as always. Week five of the college football season in the books. Week four of the NFL season is behind us, and I am going to be here tonight recapping everything that took place from the NFL draft perspective and recapping the NFL rookies and how they are doing now four games into their season. So much to talk about, you know, with the condensed schedules, you know, and and the opponents in in conference. I feel like we're getting a lot of games that usually we may have to wait a little bit more towards later in the year. We're getting them a little bit earlier. Uh, So there's a lot to break down. So let's get right into it. I want to start the quarterback position. I mean, obviously, you know, those of you who, who are regular listeners know that Matt and I are from New York. We have our allegiance to the Giants is readily known. You know, and so Trevor Lawrence has been a hot topic item here in New York, you know, with the way the Jets and the Giants have been playing. And who knows? I would think that is a strong likelihood Trevor Lawrence is playing in either New York with the Jets, with the Giants, or potentially with the Redskins in D.C. Uh, Well, I should say the Washington football team in in D.C. You know, those are probably... three of the potential landing spots, you know, for Trevor Lawrence, you know, a couple other teams, I would say, you know, in the mix as well, maybe the Atlanta Falcons. But I think these are the teams that were potentially on the path to staring down Trevor Lawrence. And Lawrence has started out this year red hot this past week, 28, 25 of 38, 329 yards and three touchdowns. I mean, last year at this time, people were nitpicking Lawrence. He got off to a little bit of a slow start. But this year, he has hit the ground running and has been really, really impressive, uh, you know, living up to the building as the top quarterback prospect in that 2021 draft. Clemson is going to be a juggernaut of a team all season long. You know, I think Lawrence could potentially be on his way to the Heisman Trophy. So, you know, there's not much more to say about Charlie Lawrence. I think he's going to be the best quarterback prospect to come out since Andrew Luck. He can do it all. There's not a lot of nitpicking to his game, you know, in the least bit. You know, I wanted to see when I watched him in the summer, there was a couple things in terms of handling pressure. They haven't really been tested enough yet for me to really make any determination about that. You know, maybe when they they get into the playoffs, we'll see some moments that, will you know, kind of see how he does in that regards. But besides that, I just don't see much during the year. I think he's going to be pretty ho-hum and he's going to cruise along and continue to put up big-time stats every single uh, game that he performs in. Next quarterback I want to talk about is Kyle Trask. I've been talking about him over the last couple weeks. This past week, Florida beat South Carolina. He's 21 of 29, 268 yards and four touchdowns. Like I mentioned before, some people were higher on Trask going into the the year than me. He sits at number 10 for me right now, but there's really – there's a – maneuverability up that he can move into the five, six, seven range with a really strong year. I don't think there's much of a separation between all those guys, 
you know, in, in that group or in that tier that you want to call about. And Trask has impressed me early, early on this year, showing, you know, better ball placement than I think I saw when I watched him on film, showing more command of the huddle. You know, I think the experience and the reps that he continued to needed to to get it is showing off. So I think it's nice to see the growth and development from Trask game. Next up, Sam Ellinger. He's another guy in that mix, that, you know, between five and 10 or four and 10, even you can say. He's another guy that up and down throughout his time in college, I wanted to see him kind of show some more consistency and growth. And this was... You know, statistically through four touchdowns this week, but you know, he's 17 of 36. Texas got upset by TCU. He had eight carries for 49 yards. We know he can do a little bit on the ground, but we know he can put up touchdowns. It's still consistent ball placement and accuracy are the two things, you know, that are going to hold back Sam Ellinger from making him potentially a day two quarterback prospect. And This is the game that even though the stats still look good in the box score, I think it it still kind of resonates with his inconsistencies as a quarterback. And I think that's still what me and I'm sure many evaluators and analysts want to see some more consistency in that regards. Speaking of consistency, another guy, Desmond Ritter of Cincinnati. He's a guy that I really was intrigued by him when I watched him in the summer. I, I mentioned in the past that, you know, he sat at number six for me. He's not really gotten off to a very good start this past week. 16 of 26, only 143 yards, two touchdowns, but he broke three interceptions. You know, you want to see him kind of take that next step. You know, I kind of rated him a little bit based on what I saw, but then also what I thought he could become because he does have a skill set that I think is very reminiscent of Colin Kaepernick. And I think now more than ever, that type of skill set is something that would be more intriguing to NFL teams than it even was when, when Kaepernick came out. So it'd be interesting to kind of follow him the rest of the year and kind of see how he looks and how he performs, because I do think that there's talent there, but there's some inconsistencies for sure in terms of Ritter, in terms of also, you know, showing some more growth and development in his overall game in terms of accuracy, ball placement, pocket presence. Next up, uh, I want to talk about the quarterbacks from the Texas A&M Alabama game. Kellen Mond was 23 of 44, uh, 318 yards, three touchdowns, one interception. Mac Jones, 20 of 27, 435 yards and four touchdowns. Mac Jones, listen, we don't have a lot of data to go on him. So, you know, we're seeing firsthand this year. I don't think he's going to push position himself to move up into a guy that we're talking about as a top 100 pick, but I do think he's got a skill set that could be intriguing. See him get drafted somewhere on day three. I think he's going to have a very good statistical year, which is going to kind of put him in the spotlight more than, than most people uh, with his overall skill set. So I do think it's going to be interesting to kind of see, you know, where Mac Jones falls in terms of draft stock and draft capital on the flip side, Kellen Mond, he sat at number 13 for me when the season started, he shows glimpses of being a really good quarterback. His ability to throw on the run, I think, is his best uh, attribute. But a lot of inconsistencies there as well. In this game, 318, three touchdowns. You know, he had some moments that he looked good, but it's prolonged consistency 
is the area that Mond has struggled with uh, accuracy at times and ball placement also from playing inside the pocket. Like I said, he's best out of structure. Good game there. Texas A&M obviously comes up short against Alabama. I don't think many people expected them to win that game. Next up I want to talk about is KJ Costello because we talked about him last week and how good he looked in that upset of LSU. I'm really intrigued by him. I think he's a guy that could be moved right into the mix and and could work his way to number four, to be honest with you, in my quarterback rankings. But after that big win over LSU last week, you know, Mississippi State loses to Arkansas this week. They were 16 and a half point favorites. Costello was 43 of 59, 313 yards, but he only had one touchdown, three interceptions. So that consistency, which kind of plagued him in the past, kind of uh, got him again in this game. Costello is a guy that, again, in that Mike Leach offense, he's going to put up gaudy statistics. So it's not about the statistics, you know, when the year's you know when the year's over. It's about him. He's got the raw talents. He's got the arm talent, the size, the frame. It's more about just ball placement, accuracy, pocket presence is is where I want to see him improve upon. So. Coming off of that big win to take a little bit of a step back, that's the thing that I don't want to see this year. Matt Corral uh, for Ole Miss got a big win over Kentucky, 42-41. Matt Corral was a favorite of Matt Caraccio from when he came out of high school. Corral finally seems to be a little bit of a late bloomer here and putting it all together. 24 of 29, 320 yards and four touchdowns. Also at 13 uh, rushes for 51 yards. So he's got some dual red capability, which I think is important in this day and age and a big win uh, for Corral and Ole Miss there over Kentucky. I'm, I like the consistency that Corral's playing with a little bit more this year. Seems to be putting it all together more than he has in the past. So those are really the quarterbacks that kind of stood out for me this week. If I take this to the running backs, I already talked about Trevor Lawrence earlier. Travis Ethian, not much on the ground, 14 carries, 73 yards, but five catches, 114 yards and a touchdown. And I think it's important to continually check in on Travis Etienne because since before last season started, his pass catching ability was something that people questioned. He's not a natural hands catcher. I don't think he's ever going to be an electric pass catcher. But if he shows functionality and serviceability, which he's basically done these two these past two years, obviously early in this year, but he showed it last year that if he could just be used as a check down option and then if you can get him in space, he's not going to be running these routes. He's not going to be lining up in the slot. He's not going to be probably running wheel routes at the NFL level. But he, if he if he can be productive on check downs, productive on screens and in the open field, that'll be enough to to kind of check that box in terms of his NFL, you know, picture in terms of, yeah, we know he's an electric runner. We know he's got that rare stop start acceleration, the burst, the speed. But if he can show that he can be functional in the pass game, that's going to go a long way in making him uh, the clear RB1 and potentially a first-round pick. I talked about Sam Ellinger before in that loss to TCU. Keontae Ingram, 11 carries, 40 yards, three catches, 52 yards. I still think they should be giving him more work in the run game. But again, part of the the reason why I like Ingram is I do believe he's a three-down back. He's got three-down capabilities. He's got the size and frame that he can play inside between he could be run between the tackles, could be a goal line runner. He has a, enough uh, athleticism, lateral quickness, and movement skills to get to the perimeter and be an effective runner outside. But then he also has that receiving capabilities. So I do believe he can impact the game in a variety of ways. 
His stats so far in the early going this year have not been, you know, that gaudy or impressive. But I, I like Ingram's all-around game, and I'm kind of hoping that he has some breakout games throughout this year to get a little bit more national attention, national radar. Speaking of someone who is on the national radar, Chubba Hubbard, 20 carries, 145 yards, and one touchdown. Him and Ethan were the two guys with Najee Harris, who we thought could come out last year. They all chose to go back to school. You know, right now, I think the consensus top three is Ethan Harris and Hubbard in some order. I've already made my feelings known on Hubbard. I thought he showed you know, better contact balance and contact fidelity last year. I still think he's a guy that is more of a 14 to 16 touch player at the NFL level, not an 18 to 20 touch guy. And I think that's fine. You know, he showed, you know, more play strength last year and an improvement in that area, but he's a guy that you want to get him in space. You want to, you want to get him on the perimeter when you can, and he's an electric player. And I think he's a, he's locked into me as a day two guy. If Darrell Henderson went as high as he did, I think Trevor Hubbard is better than Darrell Henderson. So I think he's going to intrigue NFL teams with his complete skill set. The other running back I want to talk about is Zamir White. Uh, Georgia rolled over Auburn this week in, in what I thought was going to be a more competitive game. But Zamir White, 19 carries, 88 yards, and two touchdowns. He's becoming the focal point of that Georgia offense. Again, we knew he had the athleticism for his size and frame. He's got quicker footwork you know, and movement skills than you would expect for a man. But he also has that power you know, to run over guys, to play strength, to break tackles. Again, for White, it's going to be, can he show that he's functional in the pass game? And Georgia might not ask him to do much of it, so it's going to be a little bit of an unknown, but that'll kind of, I think, impact his draft stock. I think he's probably a day two guy, but I don't think unless he shows more consistency and shows that he can impact in terms of the passing game, I think his overall upside in terms of his NFL landscape may be a little limited to more of a around three guy than the top two round guy because of that. If we take this to the pass catchers, I'll continue to start with Kyle Pitts. Four catches, 57 yards, and two more touchdowns. I Again, if you were following me on Twitter on Saturday, I continue to harp on the fact that he, to me, is a Darren Waller clone. If you have watched much of Darren Waller over this season or last year, and watch Pitts. I think they are very similar in terms of how they're going to win in terms of their NFL uh, role. Very much like a wide receiver, his movement skills, his route running, his yak ability. He's going to be a mismatch for so many linebackers and safeties at the next level. And I do think he could be one of those rare tight ends that could potentially be impactful early in his career because they're just going to ask him to probably mostly line up as a receiver or in the slot or in motion and not really ask him to get bogged down too much at the line of scrimmage. If we take to the wide receivers, I want to start with another guy I mentioned in a previous episode, Kadarius Tony, six catches, 86 yards, and one touchdown, really having a breakout season so far here. Uh, he's one of the the first guys I have starred to uh, get into the 2021 scouting notebook at some point during the season uh, after I do a deep dive into his film. But really impressive statistics early going. Uh, seen some highlights of him. He's a guy that, you know, as Trask has developed and looked better this year, Tony has been the recipient of a lot of those big plays and to me right now, he's the most impactful receiver and pass catcher, not named Kyle Pitts, uh, for the Gators. 
Next guy, speaking of another guy who needs to get into the notebook, you know, I wrote up 30 guys before the season started, focusing most of my attention at the receiver position on guys from the bigger schools. You know, there's more film available on those guys. But a guy I got to get in is is Reggie Robertson out of SMU. Now, he did seem to suffer a what could be a severe knee injury. I don't think as I'm recording this, there has been any official word on that. But in this game, five catches, 243 yards, and two touchdowns. He is off to a red-hot start. Uh, again, not sure if his season is over due to the injury or the severity of it just yet. But Robertson is a guy that I need to get closer eyes on and get him into the scouting notebook. Uh, like I mentioned on Twitter a couple of weeks ago, he probably deserves to be ranked higher than the guys I have in my, some of the guys I have in my wide receiver rankings. But when I do my rankings, I really want it to be on my own film analysis, not hearsay. So when Roberson does get in those rankings, expect him to be, you know, much higher than the bottom of that list there. Great draft, another great wide receiver class, but I'd expect him to maybe come in somewhere, you know, around the 18 to 20 range, probably, uh, you know, so probably better than a handful to 10 guys that I've already written up in there. Next, I want to talk about the UNC wide receivers because I'm not sure what's going on with Daz Newsom. I mean, Daz Newsom was a guy I really liked on film. I had him 16th going into the season and two catches for 26 yards two weeks ago, one catch for six yards this week. So, you know, Newsom is a guy who I thought could be an electric player out of the slot, you know, a little bit confused as the slow start for him. They seem to be spreading it around a lot, and he just has not been a recipient of many of Sam Howell's passes so far. His teammate, Deami Brown, who I had ranked slightly below Daz Newsom before the season started based on last year's film, he's been more involved, you know, six catches for 94 yards, and then this past week, four for 60. So right now it's been pushing more towards the outside and Brown than on the inside slot to Newsom. So we'll see if that's just, you know, small sample size or if this year it's going to be a little bit more towards Brown in the perimeter than Newsom in the slot. Mentioned Mac Jones before. He's going to ride and die with his wide receivers there, Jalen Waddell and Devonta Smith. Every single week you watch Alabama play and you come away with impressed Waddle five catches, 142 yards and one touchdown. We'll continue to say it's hard not to watch Jalen Waddle and, and think of a Tyree kill style player. That's what I envision. I think he's locked into round one, his teammate Devonta Smith. He's another guy I think will be in the 20 to 32 range of round one or the top five, 10 picks of round two this past week, six catches, 63 yards for him. I mentioned Elijah Moore last week, big game for for Ole Miss. This week he follows it up with another big game, 10 catches, 92 yards, and one touchdown. You know, to me right now, Elijah Moore and Tutu Atwell out of Louisville have kind of separated themselves in the early going here from Daz Newsom. Those were two guys that I kind of, you know, I kind of ranked all three of them right near each other because I all thought they were electric slot players that could get vertical and do a lot after the catch as well. But right now in the early going, Atwell and Elijah Moore are, are separating themselves from Daz Newsom. You know, in a normal year, guys like Tutu Atwell and Elijah Moore would seem to be really a lot higher than 14 and 15, which is where I have them right now just because of, you know, how star-studded this wide receiver class is. One other guy, 
Also a part of that group is Tylen Wallace, who he was number 13. Another guy that in a traditional year, I feel like he should be top seven, top eight. Yet he's at 13. You know, obviously last year's season ended with an injury. He does not look like that is hampering him at all. Nine catches, 148 yards, and two touchdowns. So impressive game for Wallace. Impressive start to the season there for him. If we take this to the Devi slant, uh, where we talk about a couple of the top underclassmen prospects from this past week, I mentioned the UNC wide receivers. You know, so I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up Sam Howell. 14 of 26, 225 yards and one touchdown. Again, on Twitter, I was talking about on Saturday that, you know, with Trevor Lawrence, I'm assuming Justin Fields, and then Trey Lance made it official today that he's coming out. I think Sam Howell's going to be the guy that when next, you know, spring and summer roll around and we turn our attention to the following draft class, I do think Howell is going to be the guy that is considered the consensus QB1. You right now, obviously something can change this year and maybe someone else can push him. But I think right now, Howell's the guy, you know, so keep an eye on him. If you're unfamiliar with him, he's a guy that we're going to be hearing a lot about, you know, the rest of this year, but then in particular next year when he is draft eligible at the running back position, two really, really talented uh, running backs that I wanted to bring up both really impressive performances this past week. Uh, you know, one is Eric Gray out of Tennessee. You know, Gray is a guy who very, very talented player. 16 carries, 105 yards and one touchdown. Also had a uh, one reception for 13 yards and a touchdown. He's a guy really explosive, can impact the game, rushing or receiving. He's a guy that I don't think it, the national spotlight and the national attention uh, is on him yet. And Tennessee, you know, obviously has been down lately. But Gray is a guy that in your Debbie leagues, I would try to get a hold of Eric Gray now before he becomes a more household name. More of a household name who had a big week this week as an underclassman running back was Brees Hall out of Iowa State, the six foot, 215 pound running back at 28 carries, 139 yards, and two touchdowns. He already has six touchdowns on the year. Another guy that when next year rolls around, I think Hall, I think uh, on Ely, I think those are going to be the guys that we're talking about at the top of the running back landscape. You know, like we're talking about this year, Ethan Harris, Hubbard, Gainwell, those guys. I think next year we're going to be looking and talking about Brees Hall, Jarian Ely, Isaiah Spiller, Eric Gray. Those are going to be the guys that I think we're talking about come next year. So those are the three guys from the Debbie Slant uh, from the underclassmen that I wanted to hit upon uh, this week. Again, make sure you know you're keeping an eye on these underclassmen and trying to get them where you can sooner rather than later. If I take this to the tail of the tape, as we look ahead to this upcoming week, couple of games that really have me excited. Obviously, the biggest game of the week is Georgia Alabama. I mentioned Zamir White before. It's going to be really interesting to see if he can get much going against that Alabama defense. But then I'm also excited to see George Pickens, the underclassman wide receiver who I've talked about you know, on here numerous times. I think he is ultra-talented. He's going to be a guy that I think is going to be a big-time prospect when the time comes. You know, So 
can Pickens do much on the perimeter against these out against the Alabama DBs? And then can Zamir White get going in this game? You know, with Georgia versus Alabama on the Alabama side, how does Mac Jones perform? This is a big test. You know, obviously last week against Texas A&M, you know, he looked great. But now Georgia is a little bit of a different, you know, different beast that he's got to try to handle. So obviously those wide receivers, ultra talented. Can Mac Jones get those wide receivers and can he win vertically down the field? I think are the two things that I keep my close eye on. If we stay in the SEC, LSU Florida is going to be an exciting game. Obviously, you know, LSU took that loss two weeks ago against Mississippi State. They bounced back big this past week. Florida, you know, right now impressive in the early going. I think this game is going to be a really exciting game. I'm really intrigued to see both quarterback Miles Brennan from the LSU side and Terrace Marshall, one of my favorite wide receivers in this class. And then on the, the Gator side, big, big test for Kyle Trask. How does he perform in this setting? I think these are the kind of games that are going to impact whether Kyle Trask is a day three guy or potentially move his way into day two consideration. Uh, Kadarius Tony, who I've been talking about, how does he perform versus LSU defense as well? You know, he's had a, a breakout early part of this season. Can he keep it going here against the LSU defense? Another SEC game I'm looking forward to seeing is Texas A&M, who just took the loss this past week to Alabama. But how did Kellen Bond and Isaiah Spiller look against Mississippi State? K.J. Costello coming off of that great game against LSU. I talked about how he took a little bit of a step back. You know, this past week, the inconsistencies, you know, came back again. How does he bounce back this week against Texas A&M? I think it's something that I'm really intrigued to to see. A couple other games uh, from the ACC. See that I'm looking forward to seeing Clemson, Georgia Tech. Obviously, you know, Clemson is must-watch TV every single week. Trevor Lawrence, Travis Ethian, their new cast of younger wide receivers. You know, Frank Lasden and those guys. I'll have my eyes on them. Pittsburgh versus Miami. Uh, the Eric King, the quarterback who intrigues me, who's in my top 10. And Brevin Jordan, those are the two guys I'll be watching closest in that game. And then UNC, Florida State, I've already talked about Sam Howell and the UNC wide receivers. You know, Florida State, you know, still down in the dumps a little bit. But again, still, I think, a big test for UNC. You know, Florida State always is, you know, a lot of eyes are watching Florida State games. They're obviously one of the most popular college teams. So I think this will be interesting to kind of see how we'll see those UNC wide receivers in this game here against Florida State on the road uh, for Howell. So going to be fun to watch that one as well. So a lot of interesting games this week, guys. You know, again, I try to get on Twitter as much as I can on Saturday. Sometimes I'm playing a little bit of a catch up. Uh, you know, and then I uh, tweet out some thoughts on some guys. So make sure you're following the timeline on Saturdays to to share some thoughts. Sometimes I, I take some videos that people have up there, uh, you know, and just kind of share my thoughts on those guys, you know, in terms of how they're performing on Saturday. Let's close this out with the NFL rookie report for week four of the NFL season. If we start at the quarterback position, I mean, I'm going to start not with Joe Burrow like usual, but Justin Herbert. I mean, he has looked really fantastic in the early part of his rookie season. You know, obviously got thrust into the starting lineup when, you know, the team doctor for the Chargers punctured, you know, Tyrod Taylor's lung. 
And Herbert looked good in that Chiefs game. They probably should have won that game this past week. He's 20 of 25, 290 yards and three touchdowns. I mean, he's pushing the ball vertically down the field. He's using his athleticism and mobility to move around the pocket. He's making some tight window throws. He seems to have a really good connection right now uh, with Keenan Allen. It's a really impressive start uh, with, for Justin Herbert, who I think a lot of people thought, you know, he might have some development and, and growth and he might was maybe not even going to play much this year. I think that's out the window now. Been really impressed with Herbert and New York going. Joe Burrow continues every week to look a little bit better. This past week leads the Bengals to their first win. Throws for 300 yards and one touchdown. I love his ability, just like in college. He keeps his eyes down the field. He's starting to build a rapport with T. Higgins, the rookie wide receiver from this year, who I'll talk about momentarily. But I think Burrow is showing signs of being that top-level franchise quarterback that the reason why the Bengals drafted him, you know, number one overall. Go to the running back position. First guy I want to bring up is James Robinson because he continues to be one of the focal points of the Jaguars' offense. You know, obviously, Illinois State, small school running back prospect, UDFA, you know, 17 carries, 75 yards, but also impacting the game in the passing with four catches, 32 yards. I mean, right now he's a bell cow, you know, and those are hard to come by in fantasy. Do I have some reservations about whether or not this is long-term and he's the guy moving forward? Yeah, I do. So I would, I would tread lightly in terms of buying him. And if I had him and I could get a really good offer, I'd be okay moving him because I guess I'm just not ready yet to buy in that long-term he's their starting running back next year, you know, and their bell cow, they don't bring in another guy. They don't invest somewhere else. You know, he's got a, a short leash because of no draft equity. And I think he's got this whole year to himself, but that doesn't mean necessarily long-term. They don't look at it, him as a, you know, an average talent, you know, who should be a part of a, a dual backfield. So, be careful with him. I would not be going to buy him aggressively, but I would listen to offers if I did have him. Speaking of a guy I'd be looking to kind of buy low on, if someone's frustrated with J.K. Dobbins and you can buy him for a little bit less than what it costs for the, the person who has him, who drafted him. Listen, we knew this year was going to be inconsistent, but I think come next year, Mark Ingram's not a part of that team. And then J.K. Dobbins and maybe Gus Edwards is still there. But if if we get it down from three to two, I think we're fine. I think those guys can be very fantasy viable and Dobbins can be a rock solid RB2 with RB1 potential in that potent offense. I will continue to say as Lamar Jackson gets, you know, more into his NFL career, I do think they will at times start to want to minimize his, you know, wear and tear and not ask him to run as much like design runs on a regular basis. And I think once that happens, it's going to open up even more production for the running backs. I want Dobbins on as many rosters as I can get him. Antonio Gibson, a little bit of a breakout game for him this past week, 13 carries for 46 yards and a touchdown, but finally impacting the receiving game, four catches, 82 yards. Listen, they hyped him up a lot in the offseason. I think he's starting to work his way into a bell cow in terms of impacting it. I think he's always going to be a guy that I envision them looking at him and, and, and thinking, we're going to give this guy a workload like Alvin Kamara. He's not going to be a guy who should really get 22 carries or anything like that. But I think where he should live is 12 to 14 carries a week and four to six targets. And if he starts getting that, I think he's going to be an explosive RB2 with upside uh, 
you know, to, to once their offense is, is better and, and more of a well-oiled machine, he could be really impactful, high-end, you know, running back for Dynasty. Jonathan Taylor, two disappointing, you know, games in a, in a row. I know he got some production last week against the Jets, but didn't live up to what I think people expected. And then this past week, 17 carries for 68 yards. He hasn't looked like an explosive player yet. You know, I'm sure it's coming. But right now, he kind of, you know, seems to be getting what's there for him and not much else. Since that week one, he hasn't really been involved in the passing game, which I thought was always a concern. I think people expecting more than, you know, what most years Leonard Fournette did in Jacksonville besides last year. I think he's going to be disappointed. I don't think he's going to be a guy that's heavily used in the passing game too much. I still think some big time rushing production is soon to come with that offensive line, but they seem to want to kind of, you know, share the wealth there a little bit using Jordan Wilkins, using Naheem Hines, you know, so I think Jonathan Taylor is a guy that if he's not getting touchdowns on a regular basis, he may let you down a little bit in fantasy right now uh, because he doesn't impact the game in terms of his receiving. But I do think, he will be on a trajectory sooner rather than later, very much like Derrick Henry. I think that's the world he's going to live in in time there. Keyshawn Vaughn got some playing time this week. Ronald Jones looked horrific in terms of his pass catching ability. So Keyshawn Vaughn got in the field, caught two passes for 22 yards and a touchdown. It'll be interesting to kind of see if Keyshawn Vaughn can carve out a role. You know, I spoke before the season started and, you know, back in, you know, April and May and, early part of June, I didn't understand why so people were so high on Keyshawn Vaughn. You know, with Ronald Jones there, you know, and now obviously they brought in Leonard Fournette, no one foresaw, foresaw that coming. But I still think Vaughn is a is a average talent, and I don't think his receiving game is something that's a difference maker. I still think the Bucks could be a team that could be in the market if Tom Brady is playing there next year to go all in, go get a, a, a good free agent running back or invest in one in the first or second round to kind of, you know, help out Brady and that overall offense. But it'll be interesting to see if, if this was the start of Keyshawn Vaughn getting some consistent reps or it was just one game. If we take this to the wide receiver position, see the land man. I said from day one, not to overreact to the landing spot. The same thing I talked about with Calvin Ridley a couple years ago. And it, it has been spot on right now that there is enough to go around that Dallas pass offense. Prescott's throwing the ball a ton. Even if that comes down, Lamb is a very, very talented player. This past week, five catches, 79 yards, and two touchdowns. Finally got a vertical shot and made the most of it with a big-time touchdown. Right now, Cooper is the alpha at wide receiver there, but then Lamb has basically pushed Michael Gallup almost down to third on that pecking order, and Lamb is already second. Really impressive in the early going of his career. Justin Jefferson follows up his really great performance last week with four catches for 103 yards. It seems like he is now fully entrenched, you know, in their two wide receiver sets, you know, and, you know, friend of the show, Guest of the show, uh, Chris Tripodi, you know, who does a great podcast with Tony Pauline. You know, I talked to him off air constantly. You know, he was talking about how when they go three wide, it's not, not, not is it only not Adam Thielen in the slot, but it's also not even Justin Jefferson. You know, BB is lining up in the slot. So a lot of Jefferson's damage has also been coming on the perimeter, which I think is a really good sign for him moving forward because I did think that his best area might be in the slot, but 
he's producing right now on the outside. And I think that, you know, is going to go a long way in making him a very, very uh, good NFL receiver. LaVisca Chenault, five catches, 86 yards. He's a guy who I think we're already seeing is going to be a guy that I think is, is going to make big time plays in that Jacksonville offense. You know, he can be used on the jet sweeps, the, the end the rounds, the, the dump off motion passes, whatever you want to call those. But I think you're starting to also see, you know, he's got great yak ability due to his play strength, but I think he's already shown signs of being a better receiver and there's still growth and refinement there for sure. But I think he's producing better than I expected him early on. So I think he's going to end up having a really good rookie season. He's going to get an opportunity this year. You know, besides DJ Chark, they don't have a lot in that passing game. Keelan Cole is a functional receiver, but I think Chenault's role is only going to continue to grow as the year goes on. T. Higgins, I mentioned them before. It looks like he's going to push A.J. Green right out of two wide receiver sets sooner rather than later. Be interesting to see if if the Bengals look to trade A.J. Green before the trade deadline. But I thought T. Higgins was maybe going to have a little bit of a redshirt year, be used in spots as a number three or number four wide receiver. You know, but he he's a guy I loved in the pre-draft process. Some people had concerns about separation quickness, you know, long speed. I just thought Higgins was a guy that his time speed didn't match up to how he plays on the football field. You know, I think he's an easy mover. I think he's great at the catch point, his ability to adjust. You know, he's showing quickness and, and more yak ability than, than I expected him. I think this past week they even used him, you know, on like an end around, you know, and he picked up, I think, 13 yards, something like that. So Higgins is a guy that buy stock in Higgins right now because he's attached to Joe Burrow. I think the ceiling is very, very high on T. Higgins. He has already shown the ability to get open against NFL defenders. We know he's going to be a red zone weapon. So I think T. Higgins is squarely stock up on him right now. And last but not least, Jerry Judy last week on Thursday Night Football had a big play. Uh, only finished with two catches for 61 yards and one touchdown. But right now they have some quarterback issues. Brett Rippon played last week. You know, obviously Drew Locke is injured. You know, but Jerry Judy is another guy that his stats aren't going to be anywhere near as gaudy as C.D. Lamb this year. But I would look at that and use it you know, as, as a potential buying opportunity if it arises at any point this year, because I think he's going to be a, a star in his own right because of his natural route running ability, his ability to win in all three levels of the field. So there it is, guys, the NFL Rookie Report for week four. Again, guys, I hope you're enjoying these weekly shows. Again, I want to put most of the focus on the NFL draft report that, you know, our first main segment of the podcast, you know, really familiarizing yourself with those 2021 draft prospects, whether it's for your Debbie leagues, whether it's for your dynasty leagues, or you're just a big fan of the NFL draft, you know, like myself as well, you know, and really get a leg up on knowing these prospects. So that's where we, we spend a lot of time. We do like to always hit on a couple underclassmen, you know, guys that you should try to be getting on your radar in Debbie leagues. And then obviously you'll look ahead to some prospects we're excited about for this upcoming weekend. And then the rookie report where, you know, I really go through, you know, and share my thoughts on a lot of the NFL rookies, guys who I'd be buying, selling, holding, stuff like that. You know, and just overall how they looked and, and performing. If you're enjoying, you know, the podcast and the content I'm putting out on Twitter, please get over to the website. SS Football is the easiest way to get there. 
please check out our premium notebooks. They are now live. I did a podcast, I think it was a week or two ago, you know, kind of going through everything that is entailed in the premium notebooks. This year you get three notebooks, uh, all for the price of $9.99. You get access immediately to the scouting notebook profiles on over 80 guys already really in depth you get our rankings notebook with all our rankings draft eligible dynasty rookie rankings devi rankings all of that so and then in april of next year you get the draft projections notebook which is obviously tabs for every single player offense and defense in terms of what i'm hearing and give a snapshot of the player all their combine measurements and testing as well and then big boards projecting who i expect to go in the first round the top three rounds which is usually around the top 100 and then my guests are trying to predict every single pick in the nfl draft it is the best way to support the show thank you for the people who have already purchased it uh, again, if you've if you've been a longtime listener of the podcast, but you've never purchased it, we please uh, urge you to to give it a give it a chance, give it an opportunity. Uh, we want to keep the podcast free. We don't want to put up a Patreon account or, or put it behind a paywall of any sort. Uh, but we do greatly rely on those uh, sales of the notebooks to continue to produce the podcast. To you know have the the website, you know to find the podcast and find the notebooks. So, uh, you know, if you have the opportunity to purchase it, uh, we greatly appreciate it. If you have any questions on the notebooks, do not hesitate to reach out to me uh, or the SS handle as well. If you can't purchase the notebooks, please help us out by at least getting to wherever you listen to the podcast. Rate, review, and subscribe. That does greatly help us as well, uh, you know, and just getting more viewers, you know, in terms of listeners towards the podcast. So on behalf of our sound tech engineer, David Nakano, and myself, thank you for joining us. And I look forward to next time taking you from Saturday to Sunday. Sunday.